your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. <laughs> All right, welcome to a Monday of Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom. In the studio with me, it's our second rendition of the Mac and Mac Show. We need, uh, and I'll just say, City Council members Matt Keel, Mackenzie Mandel are in studio and. I think I, what I'm going to do if we keep doing this is get some what's called imaging and then we could have like a game show. It's Mac and Mac. I don't know. <laughs> some cool music in the background. I don't know. Like maybe what family feud music. Would you like that? Where they walk dun, 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 where they walk down or um, or maybe <laughs> like the 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 Empire theme song from Star Wars. Would you guys like that one better uh-huh. or do you want upbeat or dark? Upbeat. 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 Okay. Um, and on the show, so you guys, oh, I didn't even write it down. Are you JNA committee? Yes. JNA Judiciary and Administration Committee. That meets every Tuesday. It's committee week in the city of Lacrosse. So JNA meets Tuesday at 6 p.m. And F and P, Finance and Personnel Committee, meets on Thursday. And we're going to go over some of the things that are on the JNA agenda, including. ADUs. Oh, I didn't. I didn't write my nicknames down. Accessory dwelling units, which I I always can remember. Granny flats, but do you can you guys at this point after sixty days and plus sixty plus days of uh, ADU doc, can you can you throw out some nicknames for ADUs? Mother in law suite, in law suite, alley. What is it? Alley units, alley apartments. Max got. You I got, got nothing. You got I did, nothing. I didn't really? know there were nicknames. You didn't know? Wait a minute. I talked to, to Kaya Fox with Habitat, and I wrote. I remember writing these all down, um, but it's so far down. Oh, my God. It's so far down. Oh, that's right. I have a whole different Google Alley Doc. Flats. That's what it is. Alley, Alley Flats, flats. Granny Flats, In-Law Suites. Yeah. So that's that's probably the biggest thing that's on the agenda because it was so big that you put it off for 60 days, right? Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. All right. Some other things on the agenda. 421 Jade Street, conditional use permit. I have no idea what that means, but it's on the agenda. Um, parking garage at UW Lacrosse, is that on the agenda? Yes. Okay. And and then some other things that, that are just kind of in general. Uh, Lincoln Middle School sold, and that's in Mandela. That's in your? Correct. See, I have to go Mandela. I guess I could say McKenzie because the other one, you're Mac and you're McKenzie, but I could say <laughs> Mandela and Keel, right? Um, and it's transit equity week. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. A uh, couple, was it a couple of weeks ago? It was really cold. So the city issued like emergency shelter. I want to know how that went. You guys have like, you can kind of talk to me about that. And then Max said before the show that she goes out with the homeless outreach team and she doesn't want to promote this. She doesn't want to talk like, look what I did and, and like, look at me, but I'm going to make her do that. Cause I want to know. What you learned when you go out with the homeless outreach team as the city and the county, I want to say three weeks ago now, put out their plan called Pathways Home, uh, a plan to end homelessness or get homelessness down to functional zero within the next five years. But before that, maybe the most important news, because two months ago, right, you guys changed legislation in the city to allow for more chickens Right. That's that was a big decision. You didn't put that one off 60 days, huh? Five to seven chickens. We went. We we now can have seven chickens in our yards, in our outside. In our Can they be in the house? Is there any regulation to where these chickens can be? Yes, they are not. I'm Well, I guess I don't know if people are allowed to have chickens in their house. And they maybe they could. I don't know. Uh, I know there's regulation of like how far the coop needs to be from other houses and garages and alleys 
So I think that's. Is that's it other people's it. garages? Maybe like you can't keep the coop right up next to your your property line because if your neighbor's house is right up to the property line, then it would be weird because they would look out the window and there's like a chicken staring back at them. <laughs> that might be the thing, right? I think it's more of number of chickens you're allowed to have within a certain square footage. Oh, really? So there okay. are regulations yep. on that for overall bird health. So it and- sounds like while we can keep our actual kids three to a room if we need triple bump bunk beds, the city regulates if the chickens get their own room in the house, you can only have so many chickens in this uh, in this room because it's 10 by 10. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Probably. We need some regulations on kids and bedrooms. Um, but yeah. So what what is on the agenda with chicken coops? Like what is the deal? Are chickens or chicken coops? What is this? So at the end of almost every Judiciary and Administration Committee meeting, you'll see a various licenses approval for a certain license period. So it is the February cycle. It would be uh, common to see various licenses for the 2023 to 2024 license period. That's why you see renewals of some chicken licenses. Okay. So chicken, chicken coops or chickens in general? Does the city have to know how many chickens you have or just that you have chickens? Yes. In the license application, you'll identify the coop size and the amount of chickens, and they will have to fill out all of the other information that's in the permit to have chickens in your backyard. What's the rooster rule? Because I imagine roosters could be more divisive because, uh, you know, cock-a-doodle-doo. I don't know if you're allowed to have roosters in the the city. I think it's... That would make sense. I don't think you are. Yeah, it's just... And that's why Chickens. it's called chicken and not roosters or hen rules. Yeah. Hen rules. Oh, there we go. I was thinking like, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe you need to change that. Oh, we're going to have a, an all next month. It's going to be we're going to have to change all the wording in the city, whatever, because it's going to have to be hens, not chickens. Right. That's right. All right. So 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 we got that out of the way. Uh, with big chicken news. Anyway, we're going to talk about ADUs. Well, I said it all. We're going to we got to take a break. We'll be back in a minute. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom in the studio with me, our city council reps, Mackenzie Mendel and Matt Keel. They're on the Judiciary and Administration Committee. Mendel is the chair of that committee, so she's the boss. You ever have to get like, you <laughs> I know, facilitate. Ruly? You facilitate. Um, she does very well, too. <laughs> and uh, the bottom half of the hour, we're going to talk about accessory dwelling units or what I like to call granny flats. Uh, alley, what did you call them? Alley, alley flats. Alley flats for some reason. Uh, making your garage a house. You're out, you're out garage, I guess. But um, before we get to that, this is in, okay, Mendel, I think this is in your district. Is it called a district? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we, we heard news last week. The uh, Lincoln Middle School, the Lacrosse School District sold Lincoln Middle School $2.2 million. They're not going to close on this until the, until June of next year. So it's a long Correct. time until they close. And and they're going to convert the the company that bought this. Uh, I think they're nicknamed CDC, but yeah, they it's have a Commonwealth a, Development Corporation of America. So I don't <laughs> know why they're not CDCA because that would make more sense. If I I might have them on to just talk about it, but um, they're they're going to build affordable housing in Lincoln Middle School. I think a lot of people were pretty excited about that. How do you feel? Like what what's been the reaction? Do you get reaction from people in your district? Oh, yeah, I definitely get reaction, I think. So first of all, it's important to note the reason why they won't be closing until the middle of next year is because as the purchase agreement um, agreements usually go is if Commonwealth Development wants to do affordable housing and they want to get state and federal tax credits, 
and apply through WIDA to get that funding, you have to make the application and be awarded the funding. And so that's why you see that long timeline. They'll also be going for state and federal tax credit, historic tax credits, which is amazing news. And I think the neighborhood should be really excited about that um, because that just means that they will be held to really high standards for the property, which was designated as a local historic landmark last year in response or shortly after the announcing of the closure. So I think that that's really positive. A lot of people didn't want to see the building be demolished, and so it will not. And it will be turned into housing and hopefully bring people back into the neighborhood, which is very positive. And who knows if the if the building would have been demolished if it didn't get historic designation. But the district didn't like that. They didn't like that. Uh, not, not you guys, but but the city, right? The, or the what I, forgot, I just forgot. Heritage, the Preservation, Heritage Commission. Preservation Commission gave it historic designation after people in that district said, hey, we want that. That's kind of how that works. That's right. So it was nominated by the community yep. and the Historic Preservation Commission reviews the nomination based on the merits of the historic integrity based on four different principles. So do you think in the long run? That helps the building because now it has, as opposed, if it didn't have historic designation, would it be harder to for a company to uh, convert it into it? Just it, it it's it eligible would, for other things. I it think it would be very difficult. So there's the local designation, which does not come along with tax credits. But if you're locally designated, it will be easier to be designated at the state and the federal level. If you are at the state and federal level, which I assume they'll be going through that process then they'll be eligible for tax credits to get funding to help retrofit the building. And that's one of the, the issues that the school district um, had raised was it's going to be really expensive to retrofit a giant building like this. So in order to do that, a lot of developers will ask for tax credits so that it's more, more affordable to do. Otherwise, you know, it's just really cost prohibitive to, to do a retrofit on such a massive building. I mean, it's like a half a block. Okay, so Facebook isn't always the greatest place to go when you want to read comments about this story, but the story actually produced some pretty good comments on our Facebook page, and I'm going to try to read some of these, and I don't, you know, maybe I should go and read the bad comments too because it's funnier. But these these are great. Somebody said I live on the north side, and they did this with the old Roosevelt School. Mm-hmm. I, oh, actually, I could get into that, but I I'll, I'll try not to. But it's, it's they they continue. It's one of the only dog friendly rental places, and they kept the playground open for the neighborhood. I think it's a great addition and better than tearing down these buildings that hold memories for so many people. So, and I saw a lot of comments like that, like just like, uh, well, here's another one. Uh, so many. Good memories at that school. I had some awesome teachers and some really cool coaches. So the idea of like historically and maybe the building wouldn't have gotten demolished if we didn't if we did not historically designation it. But it is kind of cool to see like I think one guy's. Oh, yeah. I used to live right across from it in the 1970s. So this, you know, it's pulling up all these memories and now people are going to live there. So I think Mm -hmm. it's kind of a win win deal for the city and for whoever ends up moving there. Yeah. The Roosevelt thing. The city has tried to do this with affordable housing as well. This is the school district's thing, but you guys tried to do that with another school, wasn't it? I know the Roosevelt building on the north side, but wasn't there another, what was the other building that you were trying to convert to housing? It just didn't work. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure, but if I could. Was it the Chamber of Commerce? No, um, the building by Menards in between a a credit union. Was that it? You were Uh, trying to put bridge housing there, right? Or something like that. Yes. The headquarters for Marine credit union, I believe that is different, but I hear you on that. I mean, it's still affordable housing. So I think also it's really curious to note that Commonwealth development, I believe 
also applied for the 4th and Jackson affordable housing development. And Sinair was awarded it. And curious enough, Sinair, who's doing the 4th and Jackson development, did Roosevelt. So they all sort of know about historic preservation and affordable housing. And so they're really, they're two great Wisconsin-based developers. Okay. So it's not some out-of-state developer. Commonwealth is amazing. They do incredible work for housing developments. They know what they're doing and they know how to repurpose historic property. So it's really actually quite exciting that we got such a great developer to come in and do this work. And and I misspoke. The the building what you just called it, Marine Credit Union. Mm-hmm. That wasn't going to be bridge housing. It was going to be affordable housing. It just fell through. It didn't work. Yeah. Um, and I griped about that when, when that happened. But we don't have to get into that. All right. So other things that are happening. This week is Transit Equity Week. So we're uh, day one into Transit Equity Week. Uh, bus rides are free this week. Um, so you guys are doing something kind of unique in that regard. What is that? Yeah, we get to um, the city council members are invited to uh, sign up for a time to ride and have kind of like an open office hour. Um, so that schedule is out on the website. If you go to the city website, you can see where city council members are riding the buses when. Um, so it's a great opportunity to experience the that system, the transit system, if you have not, but then also get to chat with your city council member. Now, are you all going to like hope for jumping on one of the EV buses. Just have you ridden on it? You must've ridden on them, but um, because they're just like, I want to see how these work, how they feel. I haven't actually gotten to ride on them. I've gotten to tour one, but every single time a bus goes by my children bounce and scream and look out the window and wave at all the buses go by, especially when it's an electric bus. (laughs) Do they do the honk the horn thing? Oh yeah. They're so pumped. They're like, mom, it's a bus. The bus is coming. (laughs) So I was confused. You guys told me about this, the the office hours, so to speak on the bus. This isn't something normal, right? Like you don't have office hours as city council members. You're, you're kind of open all the time, right? Like, cause people could just go on the website and get your email and send you an email whenever, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It's just for transit equity week. So, uh, Lacrosse Area Transit Advocates, I believe, is the organization's name. Mm-hmm. They invited council members to take a bus ride and have that be a council member's uh, office hour. So you can go and meet people who ride the bus. You can also ride the bus for free. Remember, it's yep. all week free. Um, all right. So with that, just speaking of EV buses, it was really cold out. I want to talk about a couple of different things when it in regards to it's it's a weird thing because it hasn't been cold that lately, but. Um, it was super cold a couple of weeks ago or a week ago. Um, do you guys know how the EV buses performed? Uh, we were talking about this a little bit before the show. It, if you if the EV buses didn't perform, because a lot of times electric vehicles in really cold will lose a lot of battery life just because it's so cold. Uh, but you didn't get any like you would get reports if something were amiss in the city. Yeah, typically when there's anything that staff think council members will get questions on, they will send out proactive reports so that we have information and answers that people might ask us. I didn't get any report from the MTU director regarding whether or not the, the battery life suffered a little bit, but it's something we could ask about explicitly. Yeah, just in general, too. How are the EV buses performing? Because maybe down the road we get or want to get more EV buses or don't want to get more EV buses based on it would be interesting to get a report on them. We should do a show on EV buses. Yeah, maybe next maybe next week. And I have a whole list of EV thing. I'm trying to get an EV expert on, but like my list is so uh, widespread that one EV person is just like, no, I can't. I can only answer like three of those questions. You need a whole panel. So um, along with that, it was really cold out. The city opened up emergency shelter for 
I believe a couple of days. I don't remember exactly how many days, but is that something else the city council gets a report on? Or do you guys know, you know, like how that was? Was it utilized? Did a lot of people use the emergency shelter when it's like negative 15 degrees out? Yeah, we did. Um, we do get a report on that. So it was open six days. Two of those days were a half day. So Brian Sampson at the city sends us a nice full report of if there were any incidences or anything like that, along with how many used it each day. So it varied from one of the half days was like seven all the way to the highest number was 44 that used it. So it was used for sure. And the emergency shelter was for night or for it was a, was it open all day? I can't remember. I don't know how that works because I'm not. Yep, homeless, it was you know? it was open. Um, I believe it was eight right until the warming shelter opened. Oh, yeah. Okay. So then they actually provided rides and transportation to the warming shelter from the emergency. shelter. OK, that makes sense. It was open during the day because people it was so cold out. People needed a place to go during yep. the day. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something else with that, but I kind of forgot. I oh. think it's important to note a lot of taxpayers, you know, oh, complain that, that they do not want their tax dollars going to support emergency shelter. Um, And there's sort of varying degrees of how much people are willing to support unsheltered population. But I think it's so important to note that the city of La Crosse did not pay for that emergency shelter. It was paid for by Gunderson and Mayo. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess. Well, that's that's interesting. And I didn't see a lot of Gunderson and Mayo news releases saying, look at us. We paid for that. So, yeah, well, I think like one reason why they support something like that is because the people who will suffer cold related incidents will be going to the emergency room at our local health services Mm -hmm. and take up space in the emergency room and take away the ability for our our. you know, health institutions to care for things like accidents or broken legs or sicknesses. So they know that there's a big benefit and they are actually paying less by making sure that these folks just have a place to be instead of seeing them, you know, people come in with weather related incidents and plug up the well, health and, systems. And, and this is the whole argument with uh, do we just give homeless people housing and let them figure it out after they get housing? Because that, you know, some reports say a homeless person unsheltered costs about thirty six thousand dollars a year as opposed to just giving them housing, which would be much less than that. If you just gave paid their rent for a year, it would be less than thirty six thousand dollars. It's easy to go. Oh, because I pay rent. Why would that person not have to pay rent? Because you can like point to it as a, as everybody. You know, we all pay rent in some way or another mortgage, whatever. Um, but we don't we can't quite like see the 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 costs of you mm-hmm. know somebody being outside in the cold and going to Gunderson or the That's police right. having to um, go get these people or or, or you know like yeah. just the, the the cost that we don't see is, is paying, hard to relate to. That's right. We're paying for the impacts regardless of whether or not we see it or not. So the question is, do we do something that helps the situation improve or do we just keep it the same? Yeah, or and, worse? and preemptively, do we preemptively do something mm-hmm. as or reaction or do we react to the, the consequences? Yeah. All right. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about accessory dwelling units. It's something the city council put off for 60 days. Mackenzie Mandel and Matt Keel from the JNA committee hanging out this hour. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solomon. In the studio with me, it's the Mac and Mac Show. Mackenzie Mandel, the chair of the Judiciary and Administration Committee, and Matt Keel, also on that committee, two city council reps. We did this a couple of months ago, the first time we talked about ADUs, and we're back, I guess, 60 days later, because the city council put it off for 60 days, a decision on ADUs. And we're going to get to that in a minute, but we were talking about the emergency shelter and it being so cold out last week or a couple of weeks ago. 
And another thing that happens that Mac doesn't want to talk about, but I'm going to make her talk about, is she goes out with what's called the homeless outreach team. And maybe I could get somebody with the team on to talk about what, what, what they do. But you go out with them once in a while. And so we'll, we'll make you report on what, what happens. What's the homeless outreach team do and, and why do you go out with them? Yes. Yeah, so the homeless outreach team has been it's been happening for a while now. Um, I asked to be able to join about once a week because I personally learn through stories and seeing things and understanding those barriers. It was easier for me to say the unsheltered had barriers, but it was it was hard to kind of get to those details and really see those barriers. Right. And, and dig in. So I get to go out. There's people from. Um, independent living resources, the county, the city. There is a health mission that goes out and, and gives some care even out there. So each day that I go out is a little different depending on who can come that day. But we do things like a handout, some of the essentials and what is really needed out there, like maybe gloves, water, stuff like that. But more importantly, they're connecting with those resources. So there's staff there that are literally going through the next steps of the process for them. So they're connecting. They know exactly um, who's in what tent. They go and talk to, you know, so-and-so in a tent um, and know that their next steps in this housing process or whatever their process is where they need to get and those next steps. So it might be something as simple as helping them get a phone so they can help, you know, figure out all these appointments or even helping with appointments and stuff like that. So it has been a wild experience um, to learn and see all of these barriers and the people that are fighting really hard to not live outdoors um, and the barriers that come with that uh, are very real. If you go out with, with them once a week, did you go out when it was really cold or did you stay? I mean, no offense, you could have stayed home, but I'm just curious because then you would have experienced people outside during that. When I was talking about during the show, I was like, I can't believe people are outside right now. I think I had Samson on during uh, the homeless coordinator on during that week. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to go out. My daycare was closed, so I had to stay home with the kids. But with that, I know that there were still some people out. I asked how it went, and there are certain people that do have dogs out there. So there, there wasn't, they couldn't go to the emergency shelter, so there wasn't somewhere to go. And it might seem silly to some, but a dog is a huge companion. And the humans that are living out there, they still need that community, you know, just because they aren't aren't in a house and um, aren't doing things the way that one person might do them, um, you know, that, that dog is that very important to them. Sounds like we need another homeless emergency shelter that allows dogs. Let's do it. The last thing with the homeless, there's a point in time count. Do you guys get a report from that or are you paying attention? Cause you're, sounds like you may, maybe you know how this is going twice a year. We do a point in time count, which means we just essentially count how many homeless people are here. Yeah. So I, we, we will get a report as a council because they are doing this point in time count. Um, and this will essentially help feed into the first step in this five year process, the five-year plan mm -hmm. um, that was presented um, to getting a list and figuring out what the needs are so then we can look at next steps. So I know um, they have to go out to, at different times. They have to have the count done by the end of this month. Um, so it's been an ongoing process, but I know like they'll, there'll be people out at 3 a.m. tonight counting heads and beds. Okay. So if we're on, if you guys come back next week, maybe we can even you know, or I could get Samson to talk to me about it too. I could bring the homeless coordinator back on, but you guys, if you and get a Brian report, usually goes out with us. Yeah. Okay. So we've been putting it off long enough and I don't know why this is such a, I don't know if divisive <laughs> is a weird word, but we put off accessory is. dwelling units. The idea that we're going to take a house, we're going to take something that's not attached to our house. That's in our yard, such as a garage that is unattached and convert it into 
a house that we can put grandma in or rent it out or just anything, I guess, whatever. You just make it a living space. And the city plan commission back two months ago voted against it. Did you guys vote? You guys vote as a J&A committee. You voted for it. And then the city council put it off for 60 days. Is that how that worked? Or do you not remember? I think it was referred during JNA for 60 days oh, okay. to ask for more input from the community. Mm-hmm. Okay. So planning had, staff was tasked with more input sessions, which occurred, yes. Yeah, and we had two public meetings on it, right? Like That's one correct. was online and one was in person. And did you guys attend those? Did you? How did you think those went? I did not attend those. I was at other city meetings I was chairing, but I was um, speaking with our planning department on how that went. And I think that it was good in the sense that it provided more factual information on what they are and what they are not. And I think it's also good to note that the Neighborhood Revitalization Commission had, I think, seven public input meetings on ADUs over the last year. So they're not like brand new, but in terms of getting to city standing committees, they're they're new to some folks. And before the show, I know you said you listened to my conversation with Habitat for Humanity Executive Director Kaya Fox. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we were just generally talking about this. And I was like, does on Alaska have this? And, you know, why is it such a thing that we can't just say, yes, let you let property owners do what they want with their property? And you told me before the show that Alaska does have does allow ADUs. That's correct. Alaska does allow ADUs. And I think that they've actually allowed them for about 10 years. And in that wide amount of years, only like some ridiculous number, like five ADUs have actually popped up. And so I think that really speaks to the fear that these ADUs are going to be popping up like mushrooms in people's backyards. Okay, but what's the fear? What is the fear? Well, I think, you know, one thing that was spoken about at City Plan Commission is that this will delete R1 zoning, which means that people are scared that this will get rid of single family zoning. And I think that that I think that that's not completely accurate in the sense that we're not going to be allowing like duplexes and multifamily homes in R1 zoning or single family zoning. What this does is allows somebody in single family zoning and all of zoning really, but in single family particular, somebody would be able to make an accessory dwelling livable. So you could have bathroom in there and you could have water access. Right now you can't have water sewer running to an accessory dwelling. I think some people got confused last Two, two months ago when it was first on the agenda. And there were some suggestions that this is just an addition onto your house, but this is not. This is an accessory dwelling. It's a separate detached dwelling that would be allowed on a single parcel. It is not splitting a parcel and dividing it. There is a deed restriction on these properties. So if I, for example, wanted to put an accessory dwelling unit in my backyard, it would still have to um, be in accordance with the... Um, Uniform Dwelling Code, the Plumbing Code, would need to have the right setbacks for the side yard and the backyard. It would not have to not be over a certain percentage of the full footprint of the land. And so there's a lot of restrictions still in place. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be cost prohibitive. It's going to be expensive to run water and sewer. So... Like yeah, I said, they're not going to be popping up like mushrooms in the back. I think I alluded that to that at the beginning of the show, that the idea that uh, Joe Biden was in Superior slash Duluth talking about rebuilding or, or building a new bridge, and it's going to cost $2 billion. And we're talking, I think the city council a couple of months ago 
gave uh, the the Kmart developers 360 real estate solutions uh, more time or to, to hold over on developing the Kmart property. And uh, it's just costs a lot to build stuff right now. And I don't know if those costs are going to come down, but that's what the developers want to do. They want to put that stuff on hold. So the idea that I own a house and I want to convert my garage to an accessory dwelling unit so somebody could live there, I got to get sewer and water in there. That's going to be really expensive. And I yes. think the on Alaska situation alludes to mm-hmm. this isn't going to like spur hundreds of properties having accessory dwelling units. Right. That's right. That's right. I, I still don't understand. Even if it did, what like, is there more to fear than than that? Oh, no, there's a uh, hundred more people renting in my backyard. Uh, like what? Be, are we worried about an extra car in the road or what, is there other fears? Some of what I have heard is that people want to be in control of what their neighbors do on their property. And that comes up in many, many, many ways. But I think that the increase in people scares people, like as if they're going to be renters or absentee landlords. But I think the key here is that this is on one parcel. It is not subdividing parcels. We are not going to see people with apartment buildings. Like let's say there's multifamily zoned property in the next block. You're not going to see multifamily uh, zoned properties and properties with apartment buildings building an ADU because they already have multiple apartments. Mm -hmm. This is simply an option for people who have probably very unique circumstances or want their kid to live close to them or their, um, their elder parent to live close to them. The the joke that we had and, and, and Kaya Fox kind of alluded to it. I was like, wow, if, if I have to have my grandmother live with me or my mom or whatever, like, man, I want to throw her out in the garage because, you know, I want. And then Kaya said, well, maybe grandma doesn't want to live with you. That's right. And she wants to go live out in the garage. If I mean, and it sounds awful because the garage, but we're going to remake the garage to be awesome for grandma. And I was like, oh, you're right. Yeah. The, the person that's, you know, lived their whole life probably doesn't want to live with their kid either. They want to, you know, have their own space. So that's right. That's right. Um, is parking a concern? Is that also I mean, I don't know. Is it is it one of these things that got hooked to because at that time you were doing short-term rentals and and i i I guess there's some you know pushback against short-term rentals and they just like latch that on to adus i think the fact that they were both on the same agenda on the same month there was a lot of concern around short-term rentals and when there's a lot of concern on one agenda item during a certain meeting it's easy to feel riled up and then people start to conflate two different scenarios and sort of set them as a single issue. And so I, I, I think it was unfortunate that ADUs maybe experienced some of that. Short-term rentals also, there's not that's not all that big of a problem. I think Mitch told me there's like 110. The mayor told me there's about 110 short-term rentals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see this as a problem elsewhere, but like, but okay, so we go back to the ADU thing. Um, what is the JNA committee doing and what would the city count? What is the, the, the actual legislation? What are you, yeah. what are you, what are you voting on? The actual legislation this changes really what also exists. <laughs> so right now the code says that there shall be no plumbing permitted in an accessory structure. That means you can't have your garage hooked up with water. Now it will be adding except accessory dwell- dwelling units that conform to applicable standards in the plumbing code. It just means that we previously didn't allow water or sewer to go to your garage if it's detached or a detached structure, this would say now you can, but it still has to conform to all of the other standards in uh, codified codes in our 
you know, municipal code. That means it's not going to be easy. You're still going to have to deal with frost lines. You're going to have to plummet. You're going to have to put water to it. You're going to have to deal with footing. Will the city have to come and inspect it or something like that? Oh, yeah. You'll have to have all sorts of permits to build these in the first place. It's not that it's not going to allow someone to, you know. The amount of man caves that (laughs) are going to go up in garages in La Crosse (laughs) if we pass this just seems... Because, you know, then we won't be peeing in the alley anymore. We'll actually be able to. It won't even be an ADU. It'll just be like, good, I can put a bathroom in my garage. That's and, an and expensive then my, man cave. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> for whoever wants to have a man cave, right? Like, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Do you have any sense of where this is going to go? Because it it didn't pass plan commission and you guys put it off for 60 days. So, so I think it's and good I don't to know. If, can you even say that? Like, maybe I maybe I'm getting you in trouble. That's right. for, so it is it is good to note that we as city council members can't debate an item according to state law. Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of like factual information, um, accessory dwelling units were perceived maybe incorrectly in the previous go around of legislative routing. So I think what would be really good is if during this cycle we get better information and there was a lot more public input, but better information about what ADUs are and are not. For example, there was a lot of confusion, like I said, that these were just additions. Well, these ADUs were hanging out at that time two months ago with these short-term rental guys that, you know, hang out in the dark alleys. So they're just hanging out with these bad people. So they, they (laughs) they got connected that way. And I think maybe like... Also, it is still kind of funny if on Alaska for 10 years and I'm just throwing uh, general numbers mm-hmm. had five ADUs. So we, we, I'm guessing that that'll be about what lacrosse gets. I mean, the population's a little bigger, so yeah. we'll probably see like maybe two or three go up in a year. Maybe. I mean, who knows? <laughs> but what you are saying about short term rentals and this is really good to know. So. One reason why we did the short-term rental thing was because we want to be able to know how many short-term rentals we have what is, and how we're just, getting. You say it's the thing, but what is what did you do with short-term rentals? Real quick. So we did regulate them so that you have to have a permit to operate them. And so this is not zoning. This is permitting and licensure. It's two very different ways of regulating. So right now, we are now from this time on able to know clearly how many short-term rentals we have and how many we are getting each year. Mm -hmm. So that means that if we start finding that we're getting a lot of permits for short-term rentals, we can do something preventative to prevent us from that. Same with ADUs. If we allow for ADUs, we'll be able to know exactly how many we have and how many we're getting every year. So if we start feeling like we're getting a lot of ADU requests every year and it's doing some negative things to our neighborhoods, we can come in and step step in and change that. But we won't know unless we regulate them and start the process. I also don't know what those negative things would be. I just, I, I can't fathom. It's, 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 it's just one of the things I own a property. Let me plummet, like, let me plumb my garage and, and put a bedroom out there if I want, or a kitchen in a bedroom. I guess you would have to, is there a rule that says if you're going to make this, if you're going to plumb this outdoor, or let's just say it's an unattached garage. Yeah. Do you have to go through the whole thing? You have to put water and sewer. You have to do the whole thing. Or can you just put uh, a sewer out? I, I guess it would be weird. You wouldn't put just one. Or, you have yeah, to Yeah, it would have all, to be right? water and sewer. Because you wouldn't put water and not sewer because where would the water go? Right, right. Yeah. Down the drain in the middle of my garage, I guess. <laughs> I think people are super passionate, too, about like the footprint and the footprint of their even their block and 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 near where mm-hmm. they live, and there's mm-hmm. always fear that it's going to drastically change it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the density. Yep, the density. Yeah. 
Also, it'll be nice if I can plumb and sewer my outdoor chicken coop, right? Like, just it'd be easier to get water to the chicken coop. I don't have to run. No, I'm just <laughs> So they could have their to, own bathroom. I wanted to roll it all the way back to chicken coops is where we started the show. All right, we're going to take a break and wrap up when we come back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom. In the studio with me is Mackenzie Mandel and Mac Keel. Mackenzie Mandel is the chair of the JNA committee. Keel is also on that committee, the two city council members. Uh, Mac just told me at the beginning of the show, I said the JNA meeting meets every Tuesday. I don't know why I said that. It meets once a month, and this is committee week, and it's the first Tuesday of the month. Is that right? Pretty it's much. Essentially that. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, okay, so how can people, and this is the time. If you want to complain to the city council about something that's on the agenda, next week will be too late when it goes to the city council, likely too late. But like this is the time. How do people participate? So to offer your input, you can go to the City of La Crosse website and click on the Legislative Information Center to find that meeting. You can email all city council members at zzcouncilmembers at cityoflacrosse.org. You can email your personal representative as well. Um, but you can go to the meeting or offer an email uh, to city clerks, and the meeting is on Tuesday at 6 p.m. And you just got to show up a couple minutes early to say, hey, That's you, right. you show up and do you have to tell them what I want? Like, I want to what? So like, when you show up at the meeting, show up 10 to 15 minutes early just so our clerks can get your name in the system. But you will sign up on the sheet that's in the public seating area. Write the number of legislation that you want to speak on, whether or not you support or are in opposition, and whether or not you'd like to speak. All right. That's Mackenzie Mandel and Matt Keel, City Council members, JNA, tomorrow, 6 p.m. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks.